Archiver is made possible by a grant from the Kansas Humanities Council and is part of the Fountain City Frequency family of podcasts. If 2016 is the most tumultuous presidential election year you've ever seen, that simply means you weren't alive or paying attention in 1968. The year was marked by assassinations, a war in Vietnam that went from awful to worse, and bitter fights for the Democratic and Republican presidential nominations. Oh, and segregationist George Wallace from Alabama ran as an independent. The political craziness, though, really took off in March of that year. President Lyndon Johnson was wildly unpopular, and he was being challenged from the left by Senator Eugene McCarthy from Minnesota. On March 12th, the two battled to essentially a tie in New Hampshire. A week later, Robert F. Kennedy suddenly and unexpectedly entered the race. And then LBJ surprised the country during a nationally televised speech. With American sons in the field far away, with America's future under challenge right here at home, I do not believe that I should devote an hour or a day of my time to any personal partisan causes. Accordingly, I shall not seek the nomination of my party for another term as your president. With a sitting president out of the race, the Democratic and Republican fields were wide open. And for a couple of days in mid-March, most political eyes settled on Kansas when RFK, the young senator from New York, showed up. I don't know whether you're going to like what I'm going to say today, but I just want you to remember as you look back upon this day, and when it comes to a question of who you're going to support, that it was a Kennedy who got you out of class. The podcast is Archiver. The episode, The Sudden Need to Run. Me, I'm your host, Sam Zeff. So first, a little bit about why Bobby got into the race and what drove LBJ out. Johnson won in a landslide in 1964, the biggest landslide, in fact, since Kansas Governor Alf Landon got pasted by FDR in 1936. In 64, Johnson had pushed through the most significant civil rights bill since the Civil War, and he was pushing his great society of package of social reforms, Medicaid, Medicare, federal funding for education. But as high as Johnson was riding in 64 and 65, that's how low his presidency sunk by 68. His approval rating was 35 percent. The last shreds of hope for Vietnam disappeared late in January with the Tet Offensive. Vietnam. United States helicopter gunships backed up ground forces in a strong assault on a Viet Cong position only three miles from Saigon's Tan Son Nut Air Base. Students held hunger strikes in Boston in February protesting the war. The Black Panther Party was gaining problems. The parents want you to make money, go to school, have a nice job. I want to have a nice job. I'll do anything as long as I'm happy. Anybody who doesn't have an ideal is never going to do anything or go anyplace. LBJ was weak, but no big-name Democrat would step up to run against him. So Senator Eugene McCarthy from Minnesota got in the race as the anti-war candidate. LBJ ran in the New Hampshire primary and got 49% of the vote, but McCarthy shocked everyone and got 43%. And Johnson knew he was done. 
And in a move that would be inconceivable today, Bobby Kennedy announced on March 16th, just five months before the convention in Chicago, that he was running for president. I run because I am convinced that this country is on a perilous course and because I have such strong feelings about what must be done and I feel that I'm obliged to do all that I can. Two days later, RFK lands in one of the least likely places a brand new presidential candidate could go right out of the gate, Manhattan, Kansas. I'm pleased to have Bob Kennedy come to our state to see our institutions, but more important, to see our people. And as a colleague in the United States Senate, I'm pleased that he's here, for he brings uh, dedication, knowledge, and conviction to the subjects he'll discuss. And as a Republican, I'd like to say, uh, particularly in view of his announcement last Saturday, that I look forward to serving with him in the United States Senate for many years to come. (laughs) Yes, even as a Republican, I'm so very pleased to present to you a very great American, the distinguished senator from New York, Robert F. Kennedy. Ladies and gentlemen, I appreciate the introduction by Senator Pearson and If you examine his words carefully, I thought that it was an endorsement. (laughs) It wasn't a mistake or bad staff work that Bobby started his campaign in Ahern Fieldhouse on the K-State campus, of course. He had already agreed to do a landed lecture. The series is venerable now, but only a couple of years old in 1968. The title of his lecture, Conflict in Vietnam and at Home. He would make a day of it in Kansas, also addressing a packed Allen Fieldhouse at KU and making a stop at Haskell Indian Institute, as it was known at the time. Kennedy would talk about very serious topics, and we'll get to the politics behind his trip. But I want to take just a moment and talk about a couple of remarkable things about the introduction you just heard. Bobby was introduced by Republican Senator Jim Pearson, also on hand, Democratic Governor Robert Docking. A presidential candidate was in the state. And back then, that called for a little bipartisanship. But what most everyone wanted to hear RFK speak about was Vietnam. That was the reason he was in the race, and LBJ was on his way out. Here's what he had to say at K-State. Most Americans are concerned that the course we are following at the present time is deeply wrong. I am concerned, as I believe most Americans are concerned, that we are acting as if no other nation existed against the judgment and the desires of neutrals and our historic allies alike. I am concerned that at the end of it all, there will be only more Americans killed, more of our treasure spent, and because of the bitterness and because of the hatred on every side of this war, more hundreds of thousands of Vietnamese slaughtered so that they may say, as Tacitus said of Rome, they made a desert and they called it peace. I don't think that's satisfactory for the United States of America. 
Kennedy would make some of the same remarks when he traveled to Lawrence, where they let kids out of school so they could attend the speech. But he also talked about other issues, issues that we still hear about today. Here he is in Allen Fieldhouse. I have seen children in Mississippi starving, their bodies so crippled from hunger, and their minds have been so destroyed for their whole life that they will have no future. I have seen children in Mississippi, here in the United States with a gross national product of $800 billion. I have seen children in the Delta area of Mississippi with distended stomachs, whose faces are covered with sores from starvation. And we haven't developed a policy so we can get enough food so that they can live, so that their children are not, so that their lives are not destroyed. I don't think that's acceptable in the United States of America, and I think we need a change. I have seen Indians living on their bare and meager reservations with no jobs, with an unemployment rate of 80%, and with so little hope for the future, so little hope for the future, that for young people, for young men and women in their teens, the greatest cause of death amongst them is suicide, that they end their lives by killing themselves. I don't think that, that we have to accept that for the first American, for the, this minority here in the United States, that young boys and girls are so filled with despair when they're going to high school and feel that their lives are so hopeless and that nobody's going to care for them, nobody's going to be involved with them, and nobody's going to bother with them, that they either hang themselves, shoot themselves, or kill themselves. I don't think that's acceptable, and I think the United States of America, I think the American people, I think we can do much, much better. Joining me now, archiver historian Virgil D. Virgil, I want to talk a little bit about why Bobby Kennedy uh, believed that the road to the White House for him uh, went through young people uh, and through college campuses. Uh, we know that uh, Gene McCarthy uh, had made his bones in the 68 campaign with young people. Uh, do you think that's what uh, that, uh, that Kennedy knew, that uh, the establishment Democrats may not be going for him and he had to go another route? I think he, I think he believed he had to, to, make, to take over that movement in some ways, the, what was going on, and he certainly couldn't ignore the activism that was taking place, and and Kansas was not uh, immune to that. I mean, there was a lot of activity on Kansas campuses by uh, at KU and K State in particular by '68 in terms of civil rights protest activity and uh, the anti-war, which would uh, heat up in in '68 and keep going into '70, uh, 1970 in particular. So '68, '69, and '70 were really big years for that. Lawrence, Kansas in 1968 is really a hotbed of anti-war activity. I think we forget that. Uh, I think we uh, sometimes remember that anti-war activity, uh, certainly on uh, on both coasts. Uh, but Lawrence was uh, front and center uh, in the Midwest. Uh, so in 1968, uh, describe to me uh, what was going on in Lawrence, Kansas in 1968. Well, you do have quite a bit of activity on KU campus. I mean, there's a, I think in 66, there's a Vietnam War committee or a committee of stu- a student committee that's formed for the first time that starts protests. Uh, and uh, throughout 68 uh, and uh, 69, uh, you have uh, 
you know, very active uh, protest movement. And then Kennedy was also interested and had been for some time in uh, all kinds of uh, of the underclasses the uh, in the country, and in particular, he'd been concerned about Native Americans or American Indians and reservations, the situation on reservations, which was pretty deplorable. How old were you in 1968? I was a junior in high school. I and a couple of other, some other friends, uh, got in somebody's car. I'm sure it wasn't mine because my wheels weren't very good at the time. <laughs> uh, and uh, went to uh, went to Lawrence to uh, to see Bobby Kennedy and hear his speech. And uh, and so it was. A, and also, I might say, uh, coming from a very being in a very conservative Republican Kansas household uh, family, I was not, you know, at the time a big supporter of the Kennedys pretty much reflected my dad's political ideology, and but uh, nevertheless had the chance to go, and it was a, a great experience. So tell me about it. What do you remember? Well, I just, I remember the enthusiasm, I guess, more than anything. You just listening to this guy who I knew more because he was the brother of John F. Kennedy than anything else, and my the first president I really remember is John F. Kennedy. I have vague memories of Eisenhower, but... Uh, certainly John F. Kennedy and the assassination is imprinted on my mind in a big way. When you talk to others who were at the speeches at K-State and KU, the memories are vivid. Bobby was like a rock star, you hear a lot. But for one young man from Kansas, the RFK lecture at KSU would change his life. The first time I ever met Senator Kennedy was when I volunteered in his Washington, D.C. Senate office in 1966. Now, I like to think of myself as a dyed-in-the-wooled Kansan. Grew up in Overland Park, went to KU. Hate Wizard of Oz jokes. But compared to Dan Likens, a lawyer in Topeka, I barely rate. A native of Atchison, he went to K-State in Washburn Law. He served on both the Washburn Board of Regents and the Kansas Board of Regents. And not only was he there for Kennedy's speech at K-State, he was right down front and went on to work on the campaign. I talked with Likens in his office where a corner is dedicated to RFK. It was just, you know, for Kansas, it was a very special day to have uh, Robert Kennedy in our state. And uh, 1968 was a sad time in our state, but our state played an important part of history. The last university Dr. King ever spoke at was Kansas State, the first university that Robert Kennedy ever spoke at after he announced for president was Kansas State. It really did change my life because at that time I had no idea what I was going to do in the future except I wanted to do something in politics because I love politics. After Kennedy announced for president, uh, I met some of his aides in Manhattan and told them I wanted to do something. I want to be involved in the campaign. So they said, why don't you organize colleges in Kansas to go up to Nebraska for the Nebraska primary? That's the next primary coming up. So uh, after Kennedy left Manhattan in March, I started up what's called Collegians for Kennedy. And we had numerous bus trips every weekend for the next four weeks going up to Nebraska. We had buses from uh, Wichita State, from KU. I mean, the people that supported uh, 
President Kennedy in Nebraska weren't Democrats. I was the president of the Young Democrats at Kansas State. Most of the people on those buses were Republicans, but they admired Senator Kennedy so much. And a lot of it was the anti-war sentiment, you know, the Vietnam War sentiment. So I decided we got to end this war. We got to do something different. And I thought, if we're going to do it, we're going to do it with Robert Kennedy. The last time I talked to Senator Kennedy was about a week before he died. Uh, I told him that uh, I did not think I was going to be able to go to uh, uh, California because my uncle was dying of cancer. So I came home to be with my dying uncle. In a way, if, if I had not come back to see my uncle, I would have been in uh, Los Angeles at that hotel because wherever I was, the hotels is where Kennedy was. So I'm kind of glad I wasn't there that night. And then when I was in, uh, I grew up in Atchison, that's where I was when I found out Kennedy had been killed. And so then I uh, immediately decided, you know, I wanted to go to the funeral. So I went to New York, went to the funeral, and then I rode the Kennedy funeral train to Washington, D.C. Elton Kennedy would go through the train and talk to people. I don't know how she kept up the way she did. But people on the train, you know, were just crying, the AIDS. And, and I was crying. Uh, as you can see, I got a letter from Ethel Kennedy up here that she wrote me, thanking me for helping, and I cherish that. It's on my wall right now. It says, Dear Mr. Likens, thank you for all your hard work at the time of Bobby's funeral. Your help and support did so much to lighten our burden during those difficult days and made the final services for him a beautiful tribute. The children and I shall always remember the many people who came forward to help us when we needed them. And we send you our grateful thanks, sincerely, Ethel Kennedy. I'm not sure who the next Kennedy may be or the Kenny Light person, but uh, I think there's somebody out there that is going to, be, that is going to uh, do what Kennedy was attempting to do and bring our country closer together and let's stop all this fighting and work together. And, uh, and I hope, uh, that comes, hope that comes soon. If you read or listen to either of Robert Kennedy's speeches in Kansas on March 18, 1968, and I urge you to do so, I think you'll be struck by how the themes resonate today. But I also think you'll be struck by the writing. It's both clear and scholarly. Sometimes he even sounds like his brother. This is a passage from his K-State speech that I kept reading over and over. It comes pretty early, and he's just starting to talk about Vietnam. Tragedy, he said, is a tool for the living to gain wisdom, not a guide by which to live. Now as ever, we do ourselves best justice when we measure ourselves against ancient tests. And he goes on to quote the Greek play, The Antigone of Sophocles. All men make mistakes, but a good man yields when he knows his course is wrong and he repairs the evil. The only sin, he said, is pride. That's Archiver. The podcast is produced by Matt Hodap in the studios of KCUR 89.3 in Kansas City and made possible by a grant from the Kansas Humanities Council. My thanks to Dan Likens for sharing his RFK experiences with us. Archiver is a co-production of Fountain City Frequency and Do Good Productions, where Nancy Seelan is executive producer. 
You can see lots of photos of Bobby at K-State, KU, and at Haskell at FountainCityFrequency.com. For my favorite Kansas historian, Virgil D., I'm Sam Zeff. I'll see you on the next Archiver.